Hey, hey, tree huggers. Welcome back. And today we bring to you, I always say it's a special topic. I but, suppose they all are special. But they're all special in their own right. Today we're talking about anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of referrals for that here, at least as a part of maybe a bigger picture, is that parents notice anxiety. So we wanted to clear some things up and maybe talk about how that might present itself, what mm-hmm. that might look like. And what roles a speech therapist and an occupational therapist can help with treating anxiety. Correct. And then we'll wrap it up with some of our favorite suggestions for home that parents could do. Mm-hmm. Sound good, Tara? I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's she's excellent. Gonna, I, I was waiting for her to say excellent, but she didn't fall for my joke. <laughs> okay, so starting with anxiety, we're going to first go through what it looks like uh, in communication. And, and then we'll talk about what it looks like within the body. Look at this. This is perfectly timed. You would mm-hmm. almost think we practiced. But we, we don't. We didn't. And then after that, after we go through that, we'll talk a little bit about praying the palm of the hand, which is a handout or a, a concept that we referred to in our Kind and Firm podcast. Mm-hmm. And we'll also upload the PDF so you guys can have it at home because we think it's quite nice mm-hmm. and it's very visual so that you understand what we're saying today. And then, uh, yeah, we already said we were going to address it. Mm-hmm. Therapy. Okay. All right. I, I went so how, do, how does one who has anxiety, <laughs> what does that look like from a communication standpoint? Oh, it's more like an interview now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in communication, it could look distracted. Mm-hmm. Go figure. And it could look like some word finding. So what does that mean, word finding? It's just having trouble expressing yourself the way you want to. Maybe being extra frustrated when you communicate. Um, it might look like that kiddo that has low tolerance for a lot of verbal information, like when you're talking too much, they have trouble listening they maybe appear to be perseverative in their thinking or in the words that they utilize. They might use the same words over and over again or just not have the ability to find that word. You might get a lot of I don't knows along with appearing somewhat moody or sullen. Could also appear um, angry and a little bit defensive. Um, and in their language, they also tend to be, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about our role in therapy, but being a little hyper-focused and controlling maybe friendships social relationships, uh, family, siblings, trying to control the conversation, trying to control their environment a little bit. Mm-hmm. And how about in a body tear? What's that going to look like? And from an OT perspective, I believe a lot of those communication uh, symptoms that Stacy was just describing oftentimes have a pretty significant root within the body system. So within a body, anxiety can present itself as um, challenges with breathing. You might... <laughs> hear a lot of hyperventilation, you might hear um, breath holding. What's very interesting is if you pay attention to one's breath and someone's holding the breath on the inhale, that can actually be a sign of anxiety. If they're holding the breath on the exhale, that can actually be a sign of some depression. So we can look at regulating the breath and how the breath does that. We can look at the visual system. Uh, A lot of times individuals who have anxiety, uh, their eyes might be darting back and forth um, from one object to another. They might have a very difficult time sustaining eye gaze. They may not look at you. Uh, Their eyes might be blinking quite a bit as they're trying to talk. Um, From a whole body movement perspective, a couple of things could be happening. They could be kind of fidgeting within their chair and constantly moving around and or they could actually be presenting as a little bit more frozen um, and kind of not wanting to move. 
um, they might present as having challenges with the vestibular system. The vestibular system is one of our sensory systems. It's housed within our inner ear, and it is our sensory system that is responsible for our sense of movement and balance. And so if that vestibular system is very sensitive, um, it might present as not wanting to go on certain surfaces, certain, say something like swings or elevators, or have your head tipped backwards for washing your hair, uh, that type of stuff. Um, and looking at that, oftentimes uh, the body can look like it's in a chronic state of fight or flight and or in a frozen state. And we can talk about that with regard to how our dynamic and postural and lifelong reflexes impact that as well. Excellent. Cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about how these things present, we see them in the body and then we also see them in their communication patterns what we often are labeling as anxiety is really a whole set of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so what we really want to talk about, which we've talked about time and time again, is that the behaviors are just what you see. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But the underneath the root is really what we want to address and how each child, even though they might present as a different set of anxious behaviors, and that's why we're telling you this... um, Wide array. Yeah, this wide array of things that you could see... We tend to group everything as one solid diagnosis of anxiety, but really we need to piece apart what actually is the issue here and then what skills can we teach them from a top-down perspective and then how can we help their body feel more safe and comfortable, Mm -hmm. which leads us to describing the brain in the palm of the hand, which we said we've described before, but we'll describe again here and upload that PDF. Mm -hmm. But really... um, So this is a model that comes from Dan Siegel's work? Correct. And that we actually have a link on our Kind and Firm podcast to the actual YouTube video where Dan Siegel describes this. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to go and see that, it's under the Kind and Firm um, Mm -hmm. podcast. But And what we'd like you to do is hold your hand up for us so you could – don't do this if you're driving, of course. Right. Okay. So now you're looking at that hand, that Mm -hmm. open hand, and you're thinking about your wrist area being your brain stem. Mm Mm-hmm. And then fold your thumb in through the middle, and that thumb is now the midbrain or the amygdala. It's the area where information can come in and be processed and decided, is that information safe to take in cortically, which that is when your fingers wrap down around your thumb, that is your cortical brain, and that is that higher level ability to be rational, reasonable, be able to use good judgment, problem solve, etc., Now think about your fingernails. Your fingernails are that prefrontal cortex, which is in direct connection with not necessarily touching your wrist unless you have a ginormous hand. Mm, Long fingernails. (laughs) Long fingernails and a giant hand. However, just envision that the brainstem, which is your wrist area, can communicate with that prefrontal cortex, which is the fingernail area. And you want the information that comes through that prefrontal cortex to be, well, actually, this is where, that it gets integrated and calmly utilized. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you like to add on to that, Tara? No, sounds wonderful. Okay. What what can happen and what we're going to talk about is if some of these factors that Stacey and I were discussing earlier, whether it is the reflexes, your sensory systems, a bit of information um, that can come in verbally, a, a weird facial expression, if something enters into the brainstem, is processed by the amygdala and goes, ah, that's not safe. What can actually happen then, instead of having this beautifully closed fist where you have close access to that prefrontal cortex, uh, your fingertips go straight up in the air. Mm -hmm. Your index finger through your pinky goes straight up. 
completely exposing that amygdala. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, Stace? And then what happens is you can't necessarily respond mm-hmm. rationally, calmly, mm-hmm. and in a communicative nature. And you may see some of those behaviors or some of those um, things that we listed earlier, some of those communication and body challenges. You're going to react from your brainstem. Your brainstem is now driving the bus. And so you go back to these old patterns of feeling unsafe. And in some way, you'll try to protect yourself, mm-hmm. whether that's through your body or your words or both, often both. And this is what we call having flipped your lid. Mm-hmm. Flipping your lid. And like we said, we're trying to describe this to you visually and having you visualize it, but you can also see on YouTube Dan Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, and he explains this in about two minutes and can show you a little bit more. And I think why we're, one of the main reasons why we like to talk about this is because oftentimes when you have uh, a diagnosis of anxiety or someone presents with symptoms of anxiety, the first thing people think of is, is going to some sort of a counselor or a psychologist. And that can absolutely be helpful. And what I want you to realize is that talk therapy is absolutely a top-down strategy um, where you're trying to access that cortex and the prefrontal cortex to teach these sort of strategies and skills and rationalization. However, if your lid is flipped because of the underlying components that we're talking about, you won't have access. That won't be able to stick and or in a moment of calm, you'll be able to find that. However, in a moment of an anxiety producing types of situation, you will quickly flip your lid and not have access to that. So what we'd like to do here at Family Tree is help organize the language and Stacy's gonna talk a little bit about that. And since I'm talking, I might as well carry on carry and on. talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> how in OT, we work with those sensory systems. So from an occupational therapy standpoint at Family Tree Therapies, we are really looking at organizing the brainstem. We do that through working with these neurosensory motor reflexes, which we can talk about that quite a bit later, but these reflexes are automatic things that happen where a bit of sensory information comes in. That can be a specific touch, a turn of a head, something, some sensory information comes in and it's processed at that brainstem level should cause a very specific motor response and the this circuitry provides the sense of safety and protection for the entire body if this is off for a variety of different reasons um, it could be an accident a trauma something with birth lack of experience if this circuitry is off it's not providing the body with the sense of safety and protection that these reflexes also provide the foundation for the vestibular system that we were just talking about, as well as all of the sensory systems, your visual system, your proprioceptive system, your tactile system. Oftentimes, anxiety can be caused if you have a hypersensitive tactile system where unexpected touch, light touch, actually neurophysiologically feels for you. So what we can do in therapy is work within the reflexes, work within the sensory systems, within that visual system to help calm and organize and and sort of align all this circuitry up as it should so that you're operating from this state of uh, safety and protection. Nice. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So bridging over uh, into speech and language, so obviously here at Family Tree, our speech pathologists are very aware of the body, very aware of how uh, these reflexes look in the body when maybe we're entering into territory that feels a little unsafe to talk about. And so we would do work on the language of emotions. Um, Actually, a study 
out of UCLA that talked about naming emotions is very helpful. They call it name it to tame it. But once you can name and be able to discuss that emotion sometimes brings in that ability of the prefrontal cortex to be able to process the emotion so that you can let it go. Because this isn't about suppressing anxiety as much as it is about understanding why you're feeling what you're feeling and having some kind of strategy to figure that out. And then sometimes just being able to know where it begins and where it starts from. Like Terry was Mm -hmm. explaining, if you don't understand that you are hypersensitive to touch, if you don't know that loud noises Mm -hmm. are the reason that you first get nervous and all you feel and all you know even as a kid is that I just feel upset but you're not necessarily going deeper into figuring out what that upsetness is from then you really aren't going to be able to find you know an answer or solution so that you're feeling better so we teach language of emotions name it to tame it and we really work on figuring out from that uh, coming from that prefrontal cortex how to be their own self-advocate how to ask questions how to be curious how to not blame themselves, how to be able to have the conversation with mom or dad or sibling and be able to um, regulate their emotions using language, which is really, really tricky, obviously, to do even for adults oftentimes. Absolutely. Because we do positive discipline here um, as, a, as a framework of understanding behavioral challenges. And so oftentimes when we'll do individual sessions with moms or dads, we talk a lot to the mom and dad about flipping their lid and what that looks like and how sometimes anxiety can become a cycle in families Mm -hmm. and how do we work toward um, easing that cycle and shifting our language a little bit so that we're not stuck in that constant Mm -hmm. trigger the brainstem, trigger the brainstem kind of pattern, which we get into because it's really emotional to handle our own kids in our own situations. And as Stacy's talking about all of this talking that we do, oftentimes both the OTs and our, our speech and language pathologists talk and at the same time make things visual, which mm-hmm. is why we find this podcast fun and a little bit challenging because we don't have right. the visuals in front of us. So we'll use a dry erase board, we'll use a piece of paper, we will use some sort of visual representation to help that, that language stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and to help teach the perspective of another mm-hmm. person. Absolutely. It's really challenging not to understand for a kid, why does mom or dad get so upset when I do X and Y? They don't necessarily connect all the time that my behavior has an effect on you because mm-hmm. it gives you a thought about me. And from an OT perspective, we oftentimes like to help our, our kids identify what they are thinking and what they are feeling. So really drawing awareness and attention, like Stacy was saying, that name it to tame it and making it visual to those sensations that are coming into their body and then empower them with what they actually can do with those sensations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And often they don't recognize that there's a few things they can do to make themselves feel better. They don't know how to advocate for that. Mm-hmm. So on that note, let's talk about our favorite suggestions. Mm -hmm. We have a few favorites that we would give you just, you know, little nuggets that you can enjoy at home. That work for a lot of our kids. Now, of course, if you're coming for therapy, we can make this much more specialized to your individual needs and tailoring exactly to those systems that are are challenging. However, Mm -hmm. in general, if you are having a a moment of anxiety and starting to get uh, dysregulated, One of my absolute favorite things to do is to encourage an individual to take a few nose breaths. Now, Miss Stacy's going to jump in and say that we should be nose breathing all of the time. We should. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, like Terry spoke of earlier, when we're anxious, we're Mm over-breathing, which is also from our other podcast called Chronic Hyperventilation. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about nose breathing, as an OT, I like to help bring awareness back to the center, back to the core. So I like to encourage people to have one hand on their stomach just below their belly button, 
their other hand on their sternum or their breastbone and touch those two spots while taking at least three nose breaths. Importance being that I would like to emphasize is a feathery nose Mm -hmm. breath. So a really soft, really shallow. Oftentimes uh, in Western society, for some reason, we've got it in our head that we have to take a big breath in and we have to blow it all out. And that is just counterintuitive and counterproductive. We're trying to balance those blood gases and we're trying to keep carbon dioxide in so it acts as that bronchodilator. So as you're feeling those two points, a soft, and when I say feathery, we sometimes tell the kids Mm -hmm. there's a feather on your lip and we don't want to blow it off. So it's just that soft. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second strategy, one of my favorites as an OT in general, comes from, again, this concept of understanding reflexes and understanding that if the head is tipped back just a little bit, um, or your body is in this sort of extensor posturing, meaning things are straight and leaning back, that can tend towards anxiety. So if you're starting to feel slightly anxious, think about bringing your chin, tucking your chin down towards your chest, curling in, potentially even getting down and doing something like a child's pose if it's an appropriate situation. But bringing your body into this state of flexion can also be very, very, very helpful to calm and change the actual hormones going on within your body. Mm -hmm. A favorite. Uh, Also the language of emotions. So oftentimes we'll be a little bit quick to label a kiddo as mad or frustrated or angry and instead we like to point out their body and maybe what their facial expression is telling us what their body language is telling us and make some suggestions for example it seems like you're upset I feel like your shoulders are either turned in or your arms are crossed across your body or your eyebrows are furrowed and so giving them a little bit of language of emotion meaning labeling it but telling them why you know Mm -hmm. what you know Mm -hmm. point out what you see or what you hear and you don't necessarily need to have them change it you're just saying that you notice it because as we said earlier sometimes with anxiety think about the brainstem responding i don't know anymore what i feel or what i look like or that it's having an effect on you Mm -hmm. so the language of emotion is important Um, and also keeping things very predictable and visual especially those moments that are that you know you're going to have challenges with transitions um, you know, bedtime, getting your shoes on, getting out the door, whatever, homework time, whatever is challenging for you, making a predictable schedule and keeping things visual. And also for yourself, just modeling that curiosity for your child. Don't be so quick to be judge and jury of the situation and think that you know what's happening or make up any stories in your head, but really model curiosity and ask questions that might invite them to think a little bit more about their behavior, their reaction, their response. And I know we're running a little bit short on time as we like to keep our podcast under about 20 minutes. I also want to talk about real quick and then a shout out to a future upcoming podcast, Screens, and how video games and screens can put that body into a state of fight or flight based on, of course, the topic as well as the blue light, as well as the speed with which um, the content is sort of flashing on the screen, um, and then also the sort of chemical addiction that can occur while playing with screens. Just having that knowledge that that can impact an overall sense of anxiety hopefully will empower parents to 
to do something. Mm-hmm. With this really phrase. important to find the pattern at home as to when you see these these behaviors happening. So mm-hmm. um, also just to note that coming up next Tuesday, we do have our intro to positive discipline, and that is six to seven just here in our waiting room. Um, it's usually a small group. It's led by me, and we'll just talk about your role and maybe uh, get you your interest peaked in doing a little bit more positive discipline, which would also be